That's the heartiest good morning I've ever had in eight and a half years. It's kind of sad we had to take nine weeks off to get it. That's a joke. And what a joy it is to see so many of you face to face on this Lord's Day. We're glad to be together. There's a number of reasons to be thankful. Um, I just add one personal one. I am so glad I'm not preaching in an empty room. So I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that we're here together. In light of today being somewhat of a unique occasion to praise our faithful God, we're going to pause our series in Luke for just one week, and we're going to preach from a psalm that speaks specifically to this uh, moment in the life of our church. And so if you have your Bibles, I'll ask you to turn with me to Psalm 121. Psalm 121. As you're turning there in your Bibles, I want to say... Uh, something to two particular groups of people this morning. First of all, to all the kids joining us in this room where, let me see, all the kids, you can look at me. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, we are really, really glad that you're in here today. It's a blessing for us that you're in here, and we want you to hear God's Word with us, and uh, we are praying that it'll be a blessing to you. You know, one of my most precious memories in my entire life is uh, I sat between my grandparents most Sundays in church, between Mama and Papa. That was because Mama had candy in her purse, and she wouldn't flick the back of my head like my dad. Um, but one of my most precious memories is just being in the church service. So kids, we're glad that you're here. Do you have a kid's bulletin, a children's bulletin, if you've got one? If you open it up, there is a place on the inside to draw pictures, all right? And I'm going to talk about two things in the sermon today, mountains and shepherds. And I would love it if you would draw a picture maybe of a mountain, maybe a series of tall mountains, maybe a shepherd leading some sheep up into that mountain. Would you draw that picture for me and then find me or Mr. Sanchez outside after the service and show it to us? We'd love, we'd love to see uh, what you draw. Use your imagination. Draw what you hear in God's Word. So kids, we're glad that you're in here. Moms and dads, we're glad that your kids are in here. All right, We're glad that they're in here with us. Also, I want to say something to our brothers and sisters who are not able to gather with us. We're going to put this recording on uh, the website as soon, as soon as this service is over. So I want to say something to those folks who are not yet able to be here. We have some members who, for the sake of their health, uh, have chosen not to gather today. And we have a number of members who are serving on the front lines in hospitals and in emergency rooms. And so to those brothers and sisters, we want to say we love you. We're thankful for you. We have not forgotten you, and we're looking forward um, to the day when we can gather together, and we're looking for ways that we can continue to care for you and encourage you. In fact, if you are here this morning, maybe just look around, note the people who are here, and then send a note, send a text, make a phone call this week to someone who was not able to gather, uh, and encourage them, um, and let them know that you're praying for them, that you're thankful for them, um, and that you're mindful of, of them this morning. Remember, this whole ordeal, while, while we're gathering together today, this whole ordeal is, is affecting families in different ways. So it might not be affecting your family in the most severe way, but let's just be mindful of the fact that it's affecting families in different ways. And let's, let's do what the Bible tells us to do, which is uh, to consider other people's interests as more important than our own. So let's just be mindful. You're doing a great job of encouraging each other. Let's keep doing that. All right. So our sermon text is Psalm 121. Psalm 121. Please follow along with me as we read. This is what the Holy Spirit says to the church. 
a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord given to us for our good. Let's pray together as we consider God's word. Father, we do praise you as the God who speaks. We join our voices, God, in declaring that you are not silent. You are not distant. You're not absent. You are wonderfully present for us, Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that your word is also the manifestation of your care for us. And we pray today, Father, for ears of faith to hear and for hearts that are quick to respond with obedience and with trust. Father, I pray that you keep me from error. I pray that, pray that you would encourage us today, God. That you would encourage the members who are present. Pray that you would encourage those who are not yet able to gather. We pray, God, that you would continue to build a deeply rooted unity in the gospel of Christ here in our church. God, please help us now. Grant us discernment. Grant us humility to hear the word of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the Bible's favorite ways to speak of the Christian life is with the image of a pilgrimage. God's people are like pilgrims in this world. Scripture tells us that this world is not our home, and so by faith we have set out together on the road to the heavenly city. We've set out together to the far green country of God's promised land. The pilgrimage is undertaken by faith, though it began solely by grace. That's the identity of every pilgrim of every Christian, this world is not our home because God has chosen us and redeemed us by His grace. He has adopted us as His children. And that, be, that means we belong to another kingdom, right? We belong to another world. All throughout the Bible, from Exodus to 1 Peter, from the Psalms to the book of Hebrews, and especially in the book of Revelation, all throughout the Bible, this image is, is really key. Christians are on the road of faith. They're on the road of faith, and we're journeying together through this world on our way to the heavenly city, the New Jerusalem. But if you've been on a road trip before, you know that anytime you're traveling, there's always a certain sense of danger, isn't there? Will I make it safely to my destination? What kind of trouble will I encounter along the way? I remember once taking a road trip through the mountains of Peru on a mission trip. And we were driving through the mountains. The mountains are very high, over 10,000 feet. There were no guardrails along the roads. And our bus driver was apparently in a contest to see if he could set the speed record to get from one village to the next. And so 10,000 feet, no guardrails. I thought that was the last road trip I would ever take. It was terrifying. And you may have some similar stories about that, uh, like that, where it's just there's a sense of danger accompanying you at every point. And that's my point, friends. That, that's, that's, the, that's the thing I'm trying to draw to your mind here. We can all relate to the dangers of being on the road. 
And that same sense of danger can also describe the Christian life. We're on the road of faith, yes. And yet, with each step, we face a new danger. With each step, there's something else that could derail us. It might be the sinful struggles of our own hearts, or it could be the unexpected hardships of this world. All around us, there are mortal ills prevailing, as we sang just a moment ago. One misstep, it seems, and we're done. And so, one of the most important questions for us as Christians is this question here. Where can we find help as we walk the road of faith? Where can we look for protection from the dangers and pitfalls that lurk along the way? Where can we look? And friends, our passage this morning answers precisely that question. Psalm 121 is part of the Songs of Ascent. You see it there, uh, the title in your Bibles. A Song of Ascents. These psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 were sung as God's people journeyed up to Jerusalem every year for worship. Jerusalem, you may know, is elevated above the surrounding countryside in Israel. And so as you would go there from your towns and your villages to worship God, you had to literally go up. Hence the song of ascents. You sang these songs as you were on the road up to Mount Zion. And this psalm in particular, Psalm 121, is fitting for that kind of journey. You could even say that Psalm 121 is the pilgrim's song. If I were titling it in my Bible, that's what I would call it. The pilgrim's song. It's a song for those who are on the road of faith looking for the city of God. And that gets to the psalm's purpose, friends. Here we find the answer to that question that we asked just a moment ago. Where should we look? Well, the aim of this psalm is to teach God's people just that. Where to look when faced with life's dangers. This psalm shows us how the road of faith is traveled and where our help is found. In fact, that idea of help is a good way to think about the text. In verses 1 and 2, the psalmist reflects upon the source of his help. And then in verse 3 and following, he thinks about the nature of that help. The source of his help and the nature of that help. So let's follow those two divisions as we study God's Word together this morning. The psalm begins in verses 1 and 2 with the writer declaring that the source of his help is God alone. The source of his help is God alone. You get a sense of the psalm's tone right away in verse 1. The psalmist is on the road and he looks up at the mountains that mark his path. Verse 1, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Now, since we live in an age with all sorts of conveniences, we might be prone to overlook the difficulty contained in verse 1. For an ancient traveler, mountains were a daunting prospect. They were scary. Not only would the hills be difficult to climb, but they would also hide many dangers. Bandits and thieves could hide in the hills. And at night when darkness fell, there would be ravines and cliffs on every side waiting to swallow up your wayward step. So in in verse 1, when the psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the hills, he's not enjoying the beautiful scenery. He's facing up to the task that this, this road is beyond his strength. Where is the psalmist's protection? on such a road? Where should he look? 
And friends, notice the quick, clear answer that the psalmist declares. Verse 2, My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Friends, that verse is brief, but the psalmist packs a world of truth into a few words. Notice the name the psalmist uses here. He calls God the Lord. Your Bible probably has it all in all capital letters, right? The Lord, all caps. You see, that's the covenant name of God. Remember when Moses is before the burning bush and God is saying, go to Egypt and tell them, let my people go. And Moses says, who should I tell them sent me? What's your name? And God says, I am who I am. That's this name. It's God's covenant name in verse 1. And this covenant name, friends, speaks to God's faithfulness. This is the name by which God was known to His chosen people. It's His personal name, you might say. When an Israelite was reading through the Old Testament and he saw this name, he would immediately think of all the ways that God had called and kept His people. It's a name that's rich. And that's part of the point here in verse 2. The the psalmist's help is not simply from God, as amazing as that would be. His help is from the Lord, all caps. The covenant God. The covenant-keeping God. The God of faithfulness who keeps His Word. But you'll notice also that the psalmist then just as quickly describes the Lord as the One who made heaven and earth. So creation is added to covenant, isn't it? The source of the psalmist's strength is the Creator. Think about how fitting this is for all that the psalmist faces. He's looking up at those daunting hills where danger lurks and pitfalls await, but the psalmist reminds himself I belong to the God who made those hills. And if my Lord made all that exists, then there's nothing that's too hard for Him to do. There's nothing I might need that I might meet in those hills that will surprise my protector. God will keep me, the psalmist says, because everywhere I step belongs to Him. He'll keep me. Brothers and sisters, I'd say those two truths, covenant and creation, Covenant and creation are foundational for our confidence as we walk the road of faith. Yes, there are dangers lurking all around, especially in uncertain times like we currently face. And yet, and yet, to whom do we belong? We belong to the God of the covenant. The One who has bound Himself in faithfulness to His people. God will keep His Word, which means He will keep us. You do know that in Isaiah 55, when God says, My Word will never come back void, He's saying, Your soul will never be lost. Because My Word has reached you and saved you. Right? God will keep His Word, which means He will keep us. And the covenant Lord is also the Creator, the One who made everything that we see. The One who made everything that we don't see too like the microscopic world of germs and viruses. He made all of those things, friends, because He's the Creator. And if He made it, then He can protect us through it. If He made it, then He controls it. And that means whatever we meet in the hills comes from the hand of our sovereign God. And so, I don't mean to sound simplistic here, but I do mean to remind us of the simplicity of walking by faith. Where do we look for help? We look to our covenant-keeping, creation-controlling God. He's the source of our help. He alone is our sovereign 
shelter. And I don't mean to be simplistic, friends, but I do mean by grace, I pray, that our eyes would be open to see that walking by faith as a Christian is defined by a beautiful simplicity. Where do I look? To God. I look to God. And I find the help that I need. He alone is our sovereign shelter. But you'll notice that the psalm shifts in verse 3. This is striking to me. Notice how the psalmist shifts from the first person in verses 1 and 2 to the second person in verse 3 and following. Do Do you see it there? Sorry to get all grammatical on you, but it's significant. In verses 1 and 2, the psalmist speaks of my help. And then in verse 3, he starts saying your help. You see? Your keeper. So what's going on here? Well, I would say that the psalmist is preaching to himself. While he's just declared that God is his help, he still needs to work that truth down into his heart, doesn't he? And so the psalmist preaches to his own soul. He preaches the truth to himself. He takes the truth of God's character and the psalmist breaks it down and he applies it more specifically to his own journey. Again, friends, note the simplicity of the Christian life. It's not enough just to hear the truth once. You hear it and then you keep preaching it to yourself all along the road. This is a picture of faith in action. I stole that phrase from Rodrigo a couple weeks ago and I like it. This is a picture of faith in action. We remember the truth, but we're not passive with the truth. No, we preach the truth down into our hearts until faith springs up. Until it takes root and grows. And that's what happens in verses 3-8. to Having declared the source of His help, the psalmist now reflects on the nature of the help that God provides. It's the nature of the help that God provides. What kind of protector does the Lord turn out to be? That's what the psalmist is preaching to himself. And he highlights a few comforting truths. Let's note them with him. First of all, the psalmist declares that the Lord is unceasingly watchful. Notice verse 3. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. As the psalmist walks along the mountain road, there will be any number of opportunities for him to fall. And so the psalmist reminds himself that the Lord will not let his foot be moved. Friends, do you hear how specific, how attentive, how minute that is, the nature of the Lord's help here? It's not simply that God is guarding His way overall. It's that God is watching over every step. You can't break down movement into smaller units than steps. What is God watching? Each step of my foot, the psalmist says. You see, it's purposeful. It's attentive. The Lord watches over those who trust in Him, and He watches over them in the smallest detail. Listen, I take great comfort in this. The fact that God's care is not confined to the big events in life, but is focused on even the solitary steps that we take. Listen, when you're living through a crisis where your enemy is an unseen microscopic foe, isn't it comforting to know that God is watchful over the smallest things? I would say that it is. It's comforting to know that. Friends, this is what we call the doctrine of God's providence that we reflected upon earlier in the service. And it's worked out with meticulous detail. God is not just generally keeping you. He's meticulously keeping you. Every step of 
the way. The Lord's watching over His people, even down to their steps. But what if something slips past God? Yes, He's meticulous and He's careful, but He has so many people to watch over. There's 7 billion people on the planet. There's so many people to watch. What if something slips past Him? Worse, what if He gets tired and He just needs a break? Not so, says the psalmist. Listen again, verse 3 and into verse 4, and notice the unceasing nature of God's care. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Brothers and sisters, God doesn't need any time off. He doesn't take any time off. He never grows tired. Nothing slips past Him. He's always watching. And He never falls asleep at His post. You see, God's protection is unceasingly consistent. He's watchful. In fact, the psalmist here in verses 3 and 4 wants you to understand that God's watchful care applies both to His people as a whole and to you as an individual. Notice how verses 3 and 4 are very similar. Look, verse 3, He who keeps you will not slumber. Then verse 4, He who keeps Israel will not slumber. Do you see the difference? Verse 4, He's keeping Israel. Verse 3, He's keeping you. What's He getting at there? Well, the psalmist is reminding us that God's care is both broad enough to maintain all of His people and personal enough to apply to you and me. He's keeping His whole church. The gates of hell will not prevail against His church. He's keeping all the redeemed so that on the last day, we're all going to be together with the triune God praising His name. He's keeping all of His people. And how does He do that? By keeping you and keeping me in the faith. It's broad enough to encompass all His people and it's specific enough to be for you and me. The Lord is unceasingly watchful. Next, the psalmist tells us that the Lord is powerfully present. He's powerfully present. Look at verse 5 and catch the nearness of the Lord. Verse 5, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. So where is God in relationship to His people? He's so near that His people walk in His shadow. Do you remember being small enough to walk in your dad's shadow? That's verse 5. God is so near that we are walking in His shadow. He's by our side, in other words. Or as the psalmist says, He is the shade at their right hand. You see, God's protection is not distant from us. The Lord doesn't have our lives on a radar screen and then when danger comes in, He has to call in help from, from, far, some, uh, from some far off military base. We're not, he doesn't watch us like that. He watches us as a father watches his children. Right there. We walk in His shadow. The shade we walk under is the shade of His presence. He's near us, even at our right hand. But what if I don't feel like the Lord is near? What if it doesn't seem like He is at my right hand? What do I do then? Well, friends, you do what the psalmist does here. You preach the truth to yourself. You preach the truth to yourself. You go to the Scriptures. You fix your gaze on the character of God. And then you preach your soul into the truth. It might sound neurotic, but you, you talk to yourself. Listen, soul. I know you don't feel the presence of God, but the Scriptures do not lie. God is the shade at your right hand. 
The Bible doesn't lie to me. God is near. So near that I'm walking in His shadow. I'm living now in the shade of His presence. You preach the truth to your soul. Friends, do you preach to yourself like that? This is a practice I'm trying to cultivate more in my own life. I want to stop listening to myself so much and start preaching to myself more. As Martin Lloyd-Jones once said. How about you? Even when you don't feel the Lord's presence, follow the psalmist's example. Remind yourself, preach to yourself on the basis of God's Word that the Lord is near. Preach your soul into the truth. And then notice how powerfully protective the Lord's shade is for His people. Verse 6, The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Since God is the Creator who never sleeps, this world poses no threat. That should get your attention. The world poses no threat. Whether it be the scorching sun of the day or the hidden dangers of the night, the Lord is near. He is powerfully present watching over those who bear His name. That brings the psalmist to his conclusion. Verses 7 and 8, the last piece on the nature of God's help. The Lord is unfailingly good, unceasingly watchful, powerfully protective, and the Lord is unfailingly good. Verse 7, I would say, is the most challenging verse in the psalm. Listen again, verse 7. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Now, what does the psalmist mean? The Lord will keep you from all evil. Is he saying that the believer will be free from hardship for the entirety of his life? Is he saying that the road of faith is always smooth with no potholes and no roadblocks and no detours? Oh, no. That's not what the psalmist is saying. In fact, the entire course of the Bible, you might say, is preparing God's people for the fact that trials will come. Hardship is certain. There's going to be potholes and roadblocks and detours. Even here in the Psalms, you see it over and over again. God's people are often hard-pressed on every side. So, what does the psalmist mean in verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil? What does he mean? He's speaking in the ultimate, or you might say the eternal sense. Those who belong to God by faith will not be ultimately destroyed. Their souls will not be eternally crushed and lost. God will keep His people to the end. And by the end, I mean the heavenly city. The far green country of God's promised land. The new Jerusalem. That's how far His protection will extend. So the Lord will keep you from all evil. The world might take your life And yet, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will bring you into His presence. The psalmist is speaking in the ultimate sense. The eternal sense. If earlier we talked about providence, here we're talking about perseverance. God will protect you and keep you. He will deliver His people safely into the heavenly city. Yes, there will be trials along the way, but those trials, like the Apostle Peter says in in 1 Peter chapter 1, only serve to purify our faith, revealing its genuineness, which is more precious than gold. So we might put verse 7 like this. This is how I would try to explain to you what the psalmist is saying. Verse 7. God does not promise to keep us from all trials, but He does promise to keep us through those trials. 
He does not promise to keep us from them, but He will keep us through them. And friends, that's a promise that's strong enough for you to stand on. It's a promise that's enough to sustain your faith. When you know that all of life is ordered according to the good providence of a wise Heavenly Father who always does what's right, then you can stand firm in His care. That doesn't mean it will be easy. you still got to preach the truth to yourself and walk by faith, but the Lord will care for you. You can endure the hardship knowing that God Himself is leading you into His kingdom. In fact, that picture of God leading His people is where the psalm ends. Notice again verse 8. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Now, on the one hand, verse 8 is saying something very similar to verse 3. God watches over each aspect of our lives, both our going out and our coming in. God watches over all of those things. His care is unceasingly consistent. But there's another sense to verse 8, and this is where we'll conclude our time. That phrase, going out and coming in, is often used in the Old Testament to describe those who lead the people of God. Joshua, for example, in Numbers 27, is appointed to replace Moses to lead the people going out and coming in. And here's the wonderful piece to it. Why was Joshua appointed to lead God's people going out and coming in? So that they would not be like sheep without a shepherd. Joshua, you see, was the shepherd for the people of God who would watch over all their going out and all their coming in. So, when the psalmist here in verse 8 describes the Lord keeping us through all of our going out and coming in, do you know what the psalmist has in view? He has in view that very memorable truth from Psalm 23, that the Lord is my shepherd. That the Lord is watching over His people. You see, this is our great confidence in the Christian life. It's that God Himself has come to shepherd us along the road of faith. God Himself has come to lead us into the far green country of His kingdom. That's the kind of care He provides, brothers and sisters. Not a distant security guard, not a disconnected overlord, but a compassionate shepherd who is near, even at our right hands. And of course, nowhere do we see this aspect of God's care more clearly than in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It's incredible, really. Think about this psalm through the eyes of faith. Psalm 21 calls us to look away from those daunting hills in verse 1 and to see the One who ascended Calvary's hill in our place, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Good Shepherd. And He's watching over all of your going out and all of your coming in. And He's the One who brings all of the goodness of Psalm 121 down to us in flesh and blood. And so friends, I don't know what the days ahead will hold. No one does. But I know that our Lord, Jesus Christ, is unceasingly watchful. He is powerfully present. And He is unfailingly good. So may our hearts be hopeful in Him and may our lips be quick to tell the world where our help and our hope is found. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we do thank You that You watch over Your people. That when we look around us at this world, 
We do not have to be afraid because we serve the God who made all that we see and even the things we don't see. And You reign over those things, Father, as the Creator. And You shepherd us as the covenant God who keeps faithfulness with His own. Father, please encourage our hearts today. Strengthen our faith. Sustain us, Father, and fill us now with the presence of Your Holy Spirit that we might declare our hope and our help is in God alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.